Hello, everybody, and welcome to Hospitality Maverick Podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We are on a mission to inspire leaders and entrepreneurs in the hospitality industry to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In today's podcast, we have a very special guest, Peter Avis. Peter is a customer service and hospitality expert with over 25 years of international experience in the hospitality sector. He's won some truly amazing awards like UK Restaurant Manager of the Year in 2009, And for more than 15 years, Peter played an integral role in the Virgin Group. We can also say that we are proud to have Peter joining our team of hospitality and restaurant consultants. In this podcast, we sat down with Peter to talk about Peter's extraordinary journey and experience in hospitality. I can only say you're in for a treat, so grab a coffee and strap in. It gives me great, great pleasure to welcome you, Peter, here on the Hospitality Maverick podcast. Uh, we are very excited to have you here today and talk about a very relevant theme in, in the industry. Well, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. For the, the ones that doesn't know Peter, he's an expert in hospitality and customer service. And today we have invited him down, or he suggested himself to come down to the sea and visit us here in Brighton at Platform 9 in Hove. And we're sitting in the snark at Platform 9. For the next hour, we're going to be talking about hospitality, customer service, the industry, and whatever that comes up in this conversation. So for the people that are out there that doesn't know you, can you tell a bit about more about who you are and your journey in hospitality well, definitely. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me down in Brighton today. It's um, really exciting to be here. So yeah, my my old journey in hospitality started many, many years ago. I obviously come from Liverpool, never lost that accent. I grew up in Everton. When I was younger, I wasn't academic at school at all. In fact, on my last day of, of secondary education, I wanted to repeat my exams, my GCSEs. And my then deputy headmaster, thinking he was being motivational, I asked him, could I resit my, my maths exam? And he's like, Peter, listen, there's no point. Get out there. You've got three sisters to support and a mother. Get a job with the council and sweep the streets and make some money. That's my best advice to you. And actually, I think he was trying to be motivational. But I remember leaving school, I was, you know, 16 years of age, walking through a deadly council state thinking well you know this is it and I really didn't know where the hell I was going like a lot of young people I remember just thinking where do I go from here and when I was just turned 17 my sister thank gosh got a modeling contract in Miami and she was out there for three weeks and two weeks in she used to call the public phone box by the Goblin which was the local pub by our house never had a house phone at the time and she said look I've made enough money for you to come and visit me there I was 17 white Reebok classic trainees on and off I went to America for three weeks and when I got to Miami I was like there's no way I'm going back to Liverpool at this time I was 17 and I got a job in construction to cut a long story short failed miserably wasn't getting paid so I was heading back to Liverpool but my sister had a friend who run a restaurant he owned a restaurant called Nick's Italian Fishery and uh, he said to me Nick needs someone to wash the dishes so I was 17 getting told I was going to go and wash dishes bit of a chip on my shoulder so I didn't want to wash dishes but what was the big change I had to start at 6am and I remember arriving at this quite big restaurant in Fort Lauderdale and this guy coming up to me in the kitchen and said um, oh are you Peter and I was like he knows my name I'm like yeah a bit paranoid and he said can we have a coffee and genuinely I wouldn't be having this 
chat today if it wasn't for that man Nick taking the time to have a coffee with this young lad and it was the most valuable lesson he like, gave me my first ever cappuccino sat down and told me the importance of washing his dishes how important that role actually was he said you know my guesty from the dishes and that's where my journey in hospitality began because I thought I'm going to wash these dishes like they've never been washed it was simply because the you know Nick valued me and I realised it wasn't just washing dishes it was a very important role which I took really seriously that went on for a year and a half I went from dishwasher to commie waiter to head waiter for Nick opened a restaurant for him in Miami and then me and my two sisters um, we brought our younger sister over to America by this time we went off to Las Vegas and I got a job at the MGM Grand Hotel as a head waiter cheeky lads I was then 20 again it was you know it was a great, great experience it was a lot of training and development I was there for over a year then my mum's sister passed away so long story short we ended up back in Liverpool four years on I was now 21 lost everything <laughs> back in the same council estate it was, it was make or break time for me I was then 21 as I say I was not in a good headspace mentally I wasn't dealing with personal issues like a lot of young people do at that age I borrowed £30 from my mum signed on the dole in Liverpool I said every word in London was happening because she'd been a model in London before she went to America and I went to Kensington High Street on the circle line from Houston, saw the World Garden Hotel and went there for see if they had any jobs. I said, do you have any jobs as a waiter? Pledge you as the HR manager, amazing girl. And she said, yeah, but you need to have silver service experience. And I went, well, hey, I've worked in Miami. Of course I can silver serve. And I got a job as a waiter at the World Garden. I'd never silver served in my life. <laughs> but but I, had, I had enthusiasm and I was caught out early on by Graham Bamford, the general manager. And he saw me not silver serving one day. It was the FA was staying at the Royal Garden for the Euro 96 football tournament. And instead of silver serving, I was handing the chairman of the FA melon on a plate. <laughs> to be brutally honest. And Mr. Bamford called me over. He said, what the hell are you doing? And I said, I'm serving. He said, but you meant to be silver serve and I said well I can't silver serve Mr Bamford he said come to my office and he said you know you're going to go far he said you've lied you, you said you could silver serve it's part of the requirement and I said excuse me I didn't lie I exaggerated I'm a, I want to be a good waiter he saw the passion in me not the, the BS if that makes sense if I'm being really honest and he put me on a training management course so that was the big turning point for me I was 21 in London I was put on a training management course got me two sisters working at the Royal Garden as well by this time so there was three of us working at the hotel and and I was on that course for two years. And then I was headhunted by a, a guy, by an agent for a, a two brothers that were opening a restaurant in Knightsbridge. A small restaurant and private members club. And I went to work there and I got a system manager role. Going from the Royal Garden Hotel and going from the MGM Grand where it was very structured and people knew your name and they looked after you at staff meal time. In this particular restaurant, which will rename nameless, there was no staff food. You really got the scraps. You weren't paid on time. The owners didn't know our name. They didn't value the team. And I thought, my God, this is not what I'm used to. Maybe I was naive. I was just like, this is not how to do a restaurant, you know. This is not how you run a business. And I was really unhappy there and I stayed for just under a year out of commitment to the team to the wider team more than anything I'd had enough and in 2001 I found out that Sir Richard Branson had built a restaurant on top of the roof gardens in Kensington High Street and they needed an assistant manager for the opening and apparently I was half European yeah half American in my style (laughs) 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 which I can't find funny but I knew the roof gardens from the royal garden so I was like I was still quite paranoid at that time so I was like 
that's too posh for me. The roof gardens with the flamingos. And so I, I thought the job was bigger than me. And on the day of the interview, I was in a beautiful suit. I was dressed for the occasion on the number nine bus. And when we got to High Street Ken, I was with my best friend Carl. And I said, I can't do it. And he went, get off this bus right now. And you can do it. And you will do it. And thank God he did. Because I, I got the job as the opening assistant manager of Babylon in 2001. You know, that was a really massive moment for me. It was bigger than me. I always say to people I'm working with now, you know, always bite off more than you can chew because it's usually the way to learn. I'm really glad I obviously took that position. And I went in as assistant manager. I stayed there for 16 years. I went from assistant manager to deputy manager, then from deputy to dual restaurant manager, and then I took over as general restaurant manager in 2008 at Babylon. And that was a restaurant which Seoul allowed me to take what was really important of my of my essence of management and put it into practice. Babylon went on to really great success over the time I was there. I remember a big moment was in late 2008 when I'd taken over as the restaurant general manager and we won Best London Restaurant. I always remember being at the Royal Albert Hall at them awards and being with the team and was winning I know and even when I say it now it makes me emotional because it was it was a massive moment for us as a team that would work so hard I mean I live and breathe that place and I think if you're going to be successful in hospitality you know you have to really live and breathe that business that was a massive confidence booster for me because all I was doing was valuing the team, valuing the guests, valuing each other and being transparent. I have a lot of weaknesses as a leader. I'm dyslexic. I actually resigned from Babylon in 2003. I was employed in 2001 because the then general restaurant manager wanted me to do the P&L and the budgets and all of that side of the businesses we, we do. And I was like, I can't do that, you know, to myself. And what I did is I went to a contact of mine and got the opening of another restaurant. And the HR director came to me and she said, why are you leaving? And I said, because I've got a new job. And she said, what, what about a new job? I said, they're paying me more money. They weren't paying me more money. They were paying me the same salary as Babylon. But I needed to get out because I couldn't do, I felt at that time, the P&L or average, I mean, what even is that? I was thinking at the time, I can't do figures. And that lad that was told by his deputy, I teach you, he'd sweep the streets, right? Well, the fear was The holding, fear, the fear. And, and I think when you're in a management position, and, and I, I think we think once we put the suit on, we can't have weaknesses anymore. Once we put the suit on, we have to be perfect. And thank God, Lynn Weimer, she called me on it and she said, what are they paying you? She said, and I added £3,000 on to what my basic was at Babylon. And she came back and she said, give me a couple of days. And she counter offered me with a 5K. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> and she got me and she knew. She said, Peter, why are you leaving? You're so happy here. What, what's the real reason? And, and I broke down. I said, Lynn, I can't do this, you know. And even now when I say it, it makes me quite emotional because I, it was a massive turning point. And she said, look, we can help you. We can give you help. Don't, you don't have to be perfect. You've got so much strength. You know, Richard Branson's had difficulties. And she identified early on, I was dyslexic. I was seeing things the other way around. And she gave me a mentoring program with the financial controller, Tammy, who turned out to be one of my best friends. And we used to have Tuesday nights, half six till half eight, on booth number 40 in Babylon. And I was learning... My first line in the P&L was staff uniforms because I used to wear the big fat ties yeah. and it was my pink line, don't ask. But the point is, I, I sidetrack on that is because that's what was making me a better leader. Like, you've got to identify where your strengths are. Yeah, I can run a floor, but where do I need to develop? So very early on in my career, that was in 2003, I, I realised that, you know, mentoring and being open and being honest within your team is, is a really 
vital way of moving a business forward. And from 2008 onwards, when we won Best London Restaurant, I had a very honest relationship with my team. I was very open about my weaknesses with the team. They all knew that I was dyslexic, that I'm not clued up on Excel spreadsheets to this day. You know, if you ask me to do an Excel spreadsheet... Oh, we'll, we'll do that later. We'll do that later, Michael. That's one of, my, my, <laughs> one of the things I love to do, people that know me that. So we're going to do that later. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll delegate it. Um, but, but yeah, and then from 2008 onwards, I knew I was in this business where, you know, I was the lead of the business. And, and I really wanted the team to go on this journey and see what else we could do. You know, I remember a certain HR director saying, but where does it start, these ideas? You know, and one example of what I mean by them ideas was getting involved in charity very early on I went to my managing director when a friend of mine got diagnosed with quite a bad illness and for HIV and, and I, I thought I need to do something I'm running this big venue I've got this lovely car what can I do I said let's work with the Elton John AIDS Foundation and do an event but what I was actually doing was getting the team more involved and I asked the team what else can we do and they came up with an idea of a cocktail called the Red Edition where we could give a pound from every cocktail sold back to charity but what we were actually doing we were, they became part to the business I was very transparent in the business on getting the team to own it so bringing young kids down from Liverpool as an example and doing mentoring programs and getting Virgin trained to bring a group of kids down from Liverpool all of these things we were doing naturally in 2009 Babylon was in profit you know, from a, from a bottom line GOP, we were, we, were, we were training at quite a healthy profit. The business was going really healthy. The team were really happy. We were sustaining. And in 2009, I was nominated for UK Restaurant Manager. You know, that would be on me with the Academy of Food and Wine Services. And I think on me and the Academy of Food and Wine Services. But, you know, I was nominated and I had thought I had no chance in hell. And I went through all the rounds. And, and again, just to say to anyone listening to this is being who you are is the key. I went into the semi-finals and I thought, what the hell am I going to say here? It was a, it was a Q&A with big industry, like Jared Basso, who's passed away, unfortunately, is the world champion sommelier and Silvano from the Gavroche. Another key industry people are me. And I'm just thinking, okay, how am I going to handle this? And I was just myself, you know, I was just me. And they were asking me questions of how I dealt with complaints and how I deal with certain scenarios. And I thought, I've got no chance to win this. Just be yourself and get out of here. And I remember leaving the semi-finals and calling my mum, going, oh my God, I've just had the most embarrassing situation because I just felt like I'd messed it up. But I got through to the finals. I had two tables full of scousers at the finals and, and I won the awards, you know, basically on my credibilities as, as a restaurant manager which was a massive accolade but the point of that is I was interviewed on the night of winning that award journalist said to me from the case he said Peter what does it mean to you to win this award I said to him you know it's a massive responsibility because when you get that type of recognition and you're told you're the United Kingdom restaurant manager of the year and you've had the journey I've had you're like it's a it's ego right and you think oh my god I've won this big award but you've got a massive responsibility to your industry. And I, and I generally meant that. And as opposed to just letting that award get dusty, I came out even more determined and more enthusiastic and more confident to take what I'd done with Babylon thus far, this is 2009, to do even more, to, to really show younger people and people in the industry, look, if I can have this success and I can make this happen, we've now got to get this momentum. You've got to be maverick, as you'd probably say. You know, you've got to do, you've got to really take this. And I was a bit of a one-man show that 
I wanted to show my team they could do more, show industry colleagues they could do more. So I got much more involved in charity work. I got naturally wanted my my team to shine more as well and to learn more and to develop more. To become more sustainable was really important to me at that point as well. Like if we've done this so far with Babylon, what more can we do? How can we be more sustainable? So I got involved with the Sustainable Restaurant Association, the SRA, working with the Kling Charity, which is a charity that helps prisoners and bringing ex-offenders into Babylon. And just really using this venue to create a difference within hospitality and at the same time, never forgetting our guests that are at the essence of this and the, the food and the beverage and the service must be even better. That was a big, another big turning point in my career and getting stronger on the P&L and getting more savvy on the budget and being very competitive with my competitors. Being aware of the competitors, getting out there. The restaurant scene was changing a lot then and it was a very buoyant healthy London scene at that time and you know I remember opening Babylon and we were like the restaurant with the view and before you know it you've got the Shaws and you've got all these other restaurants you've got Galvin's at Windows so it was really important for me to stay ahead of the competition which I did and we did as a team and then in 2014 I was nominated for the KT Manager of the Year Award. And I'd been nominated without knowing by Virgin. And Richard Branson personally put a nomination in for me. And again, because of the work I was doing, not just inside the restaurant, but more outside the restaurant as well. And I think without realising it genuinely, I was making a change. I was There was one young lad, Adam, who I give him time at Babylon and he had issues, social issues, drug problems. he come from a really broken family. And I took him into Babylon and within four years, he was a reception supervisor. And he was speaking at City Hall, inspiring other young people that they could do things. We were making a massive, bigger change than I actually realised. And then in 2014, you know, I was recognised by by the KT Academy as manager of the year. I got the accolade, but it was a team achievement, you know, and they were all there with me. And then you stayed on board for a couple more years mm-hmm. with Virgin. Suddenly, as I understood from you, you, you took a big decision in life. You you left the, the, the job as a manager and went on out on your own and set up a consultancy. Can you, can you just tell a bit about, principle what you're doing now and the kind of type of clients you're working with and what is the, the focus here? For that business, I had this journey at Babylon, which was as you know, I've just been explaining. We had all this achievements and experiences, and then it got to a point last year where I really felt that what I wanted to do was take what I do and go into other companies and other environments and show a different way of doing business and the impact that can have. And it's a very simple formula. So in January last year, I, as an example, went into Fulham Football Club. They wanted to directors knew me what I was doing at Babylon and he said would you be willing to come and help us and it was a very organic transition from doing general restaurant management but working with Fulham showed my key skill is helping people to show a different way of communicating putting more soul into what they do and showing leaders the basic elements of management and that's been proven as a real success with Fulham I've also gone into the contract catering sector and help to devise training programs for the operational staff and management staff these experiences really tested me and i think 
it's so important when you're in a career or in a, a job that I do, which is hospitality, that you're pushing your skill set and working with the diverse companies has really, really pushed me to show other companies what I can do to help their businesses be a better business. Going from restaurants and out to consulting and starting to see the industry from a different angle, I guess also that you started to see the industry differently because often when it happens, I've tried this myself, you're part of an organization for many years, I was part of McDonald's, and you find your way of living within that culture and then you come out and see the wider industry. So we are a moment, we talked a lot about this on the podcast the last year, we are in a, we call it a perfect storm, a lot of change going through hospitality doesn't even really matter what you do in hospitality you're impacted by all these things uh, Mm -hmm. from staff challenges to technology to consumer behavior economy brexit and so on and so on and so on so what is your view on where we are as an industry right now because it's probably changed i know it's changed a lot since you entered at uh, 17 years old to where we are now I think there's been a lot of change I think and I don't know if I say this because I've been London centric but the whole cost of living for employees coming into the industry it's really hard to retain I think the younger generation they're a lot faster to move as well than they used to be I've found that so I think the cost of living in London has been a massive factor in my opinion I think Brexit's playing a big part now as we're speaking as in immediately now I'm not too sure Brexit's played a massive part in recent times but I think now it's having a massive impact as we speak because people are very unsure of what's happening in the UK there was one young man that um, worked for a colleague of mine from Milan. As an example, he came over to work in London in a very well-known restaurant and he just couldn't sustain his life in London in a restaurant and he desperately wanted to work for this restaurant group. Very serious career-minded young man, 19 years of age, and he simply couldn't sustain sustain it in London. He said, why would I be here living in a, a single room, having to share with another guy, paying all this money on travel, working all the shifts, God sent like 12 shifts a week. You know, a 19-year-old in 2019 is not going to accept that. And he went back to Milan. So I think that's a massive issue. I think the cost of running business is massive. I mean, Babylon, where I was, we closed that business down in January last year because the cost just outweighed the, the, the revenue that was coming in. There was no profit. We were, in the, we were in the red. And we were backed up by a massive corporation, Virgin, you know. And it got to a point where... Like most landlords, our lease was coming to an end, prime location in Kensington. The landlord can obviously put planning permission in to put private flats there. So he starts, you know, playing a a business game. Rightly so, if he can make this amount of money from private equity versus this amount of money from a restaurant, what you do. I think it's right now it's really scary. I don't know if Brexit has a massive impact on them two examples, but I think now with the added impact of Brexit, that throws another spanner in the works. I think you've got to really look at what your concept is in the restaurant specifically sector. I was in a restaurant that just opened in Chiswick with my mum on Saturday. It just opened a couple of weeks ago and I was sat there looking at their menu, the price point, the cost they're having to put on the menu for what they're having to pay in costs of that business. And I'm like, this is not going to sustain. And I could see that just with my manager hat on having lunch on Saturday with my mum because they've had to go into a price point that won't sustain in a local community. 
and they've had to go at that price point to sustain the business, if that makes sense. So I think with the, the cost of running it is, is a real, real critical point that our sector's in right now. So if we are sitting having this conversation, just say five years time, what do you think that happened in the industry? How does the landscape look compared to how it looks today? We've already seen a number of the big one. Patisserie Valerie has been a lot in the news recently. All of them either cutting down the estate and some of them actually just you know disappearing from one day to the other. Companies we saw those well-grounded and have strong foundation in the UK food and restaurant market. Where do you see the, the landscape is in, in five years' time? I guess there's always going to be a restaurant market. My mom always said there's always going to be jobs for oh, the yeah. undertaker <laughs> and the rest of the term. <laughs> because they're going to feed, you're going to be feeded and we're going to be dying. So that's the two extremes in a way. Now, if we take the casual dining market, I think there's a massive shift now. In, I think it all goes back to people's time. People don't have the time they used to have. You know, a working day now is a lot longer. So an example of of that is where I'd usually say to my sister and the two kids, let's go to Byron on Chiswick High Road, okay? By the time I get home from Brighton, as an example today, <laughs> get changed, shower, get the kids ready, they've got the homework done, get in the car, get to Chiswick High Street, get to Byron. It's much easier to get on Deliveroo in that, in that scenario and you can just have it come to you. So it's a lot faster and that's what we tend to do even as a family now. So I think that market is suffering big time Time, and I'm not sure how that's going to look in five years because I just think the time we have is, as humans is shorter to go out. I do think people like the dining experience, right? So you're still going to have... There's a restaurant in Chiswick where, where I live called Little Bird, as an example. And, you know, it's the place you go. If it's my mum's birthday or it's a little something a little more special, you'll go there. It's really small, it's really high quality and it's really quirky and unique. It's not your casual dining experience. I think these type of businesses, that's what we'll be seeing more as we move forward and that's what the landscape's going to look like. I don't know if you're going to have the Byron, the, you know, all of these type of casual dining restaurants all over the high street. And I think we're seeing that, which is the reality of where we're at. And I think that is changing. But I do think there's a market for the more unique dining experiences, more where you go to celebrate or to have a night out on a Friday night when you've got it evening free. I think that's where the landscape will be. I think I act agree on, on all that because what we see as well when we work with our clients is that the, the smaller groups are independent. That mm. has a unique story to tell. They're not as faceless as uh, some brands can be perceived as when they scale too quickly. They have a story. They have the founders involved very quickly. They mm. are the, often the CEO or MD and they are visible in the business. And you go and visit these businesses because these individuals and their impact on the local area just talked about Lil Bird. And there's a lot of these businesses and local business, especially around where we're here, thriving a lot. Business like Bagelman has been on Mushimo, Chili Pickle as well. And there's many, many others. Um, Burger started down in Brighton as well as Bills did and I think you're right they, these businesses going to have a, it's almost I call it a second chance because a lot of people said that they were beaten by the chains but I think actually you're right there's an, the circle is going yeah. coming reversed in a way because people are looking for experiences and if, if they want to save time then they're going to do that through Deliveroo or whatever click and collect or any other Marks and Spencers takeaway food or whatever to save that time but if they want to go and have an experience they would go to the place that makes them feel special I think Danny Meyer talked about enlightenment hospitality okay. way back what is it all about I'm not having a restaurant I'm uh, having a place where I'm selling feelings mm -hmm. and make people feel better 
better. So I think it's very interesting. So you think there's still light in the end of the tunnel, but it's going to be a clean out in a way of, of things. And there's going to be a bit of grief the next coming years to get on the other side. This is critical to our industry. And, and you've just touched on Danny Meyer. I think what, what they get so right in the state, and we've got to do a lot more work on here in the UK, is that warmth of service. And you never get a second chance at that first impression. And an example of that is when I went to that restaurant on Saturday, when we arrived, they'd been open a week. And it's, I've been dying to get in there because it's, you know, I want to see what's going on here. I said, oh, do you have, we didn't have a reservation, me and my mum. I took my mum there for lunch. There was two bartenders, a guy and a girl behind the bar. And I said, oh, do you have a table for two? The guy goes, no, we're fully booked. We've got no tables. And then the girl goes, yes, we do. And they start bickering with each other. And I'm like, guys, you know, do you have a table? And the girl went to the guy, can you just calm down? Let me just check for the guest, please. Trying to be nice. My first impression right away was what's going on here and it was clear that it was training it was a very simple treat everyone that comes in like the guests coming into your house and that clearly hadn't happened and I do think that the ones that will succeed and the ones that are going to have people going back because even if the price point was a bit high on Saturday if they would have took my mum's coat and they would have took a little bit more care then my opinion probably would have been a little bit different about that restaurant. But what I'm remembering, like most people will, is the first impression you get. And I think in the UK, Little Bird, the manager's fabulous, they're always smiling, you know, you want to be there, you feel welcome. And I just think we've got to always remember the importance of a warm, genuine service makes a big difference. I was teached by uh, my mom, who was a savvy restaurateur. So she said, like, people remember the beginning and the end. You can fix everything in between, but you can't fix these two points. Yeah. That's your only opportunity want to get that right. I totally agree. And I think those that will succeed are the ones. And you've talked about some of them big names. And, you know, you see the service in some of them big restaurant names you've just mentioned, like Bill's and Byron. And you do see the, the quality of the service. I at the beginning they have this big focus on the train on the development and then they're off to the next opening but they forget about refreshing what's happening there and and i think that has an effect as well it adds to the effect of the business so i think genuine warm service is something that operators really need to keep a closer eye on in the uk to do that come back to something you said in your introduction you talked about leadership and how to be as a leader and you touched on something i think that was very um that's not something normally people would express as clear but you talked about that uh, you're very clear about your strength and also you shared your weaknesses with your team and uh, what you're not good at do you think that's a, a, a key attribute to have as a leader be able to do that because also like you I've tried a lot of different things in hospitality and often I feel that you've always been told to keep your face on and be strong don't show your weaknesses but you're saying the opposite can you elaborate a bit more why you think that's the right way of doing things you have to build a relationship with your team. You know, you have to build a relationship that is a genuine relationship and you have to earn their respect. I think that's the first step in good management. And I've just done a project now out in the in the BVIs. I had to build a relationship first and foremost with their food and beverage manager, you know. So it was about him seeing my strength of leadership first and foremost. Also, being able to have an honest relationship is key if you want to 
get the team on board. So I think I'm a strong leader. I show my strength in leadership. I think that's key initially. But then it's about being honest. I think if you want honesty from your team and from the people you're working with, then you can't not be genuine in what you're giving to them. You know, so for me, it's showing, look, I'm leading this business. I'm a strong leader. I've earned my position, but I'm not perfect. And I don't expect you to be perfect. My ex-assistant, Darius, who's a very, you know, amazing leader now and he's doing great things in our industry. He was great on the Excel spreadsheet side of it and on the technical side of it, but he needed to be more softer on the people side, as an example. So it was my job to say, look, you're great here, but you need to develop here. I'm great here, but I still need to develop here. And it's having that honest relationship with your management team and also with your team. So an example is being transparent. You know, some managers would be like, the average spends have got nothing to do with you or what the business is trying to achieve financially has got nothing to do with the bartender or the commie waiter. But I actually think it's got everything to do with them. And my budget preparation, bizarrely, you know, was a team effort. It was never me saying that's the budget. I would literally discuss that in, in a team meeting. And an example of that was using um, a young boy called Thomas who came up with an idea of using the outside terrace in winter to Babylon that we used to leave closed all winter. He was like, why don't we do some hot cheese out there or cheese fondue? And we developed a, a winter concept because of his idea. So I think sharing ideas, sharing, you know, I'm not great with Excel but I'm great with people is is being honest with your team and it's building that relationship that comes with time. But you have to, in your culture, be honest. Yeah. I'm also someone that gets to know my team on a personal level as well. You know, I did a barbecue at my house and invited the team. We were going through a really tough time and I invited the team to my house and we had a barbecue and we got the chefs there on the barbecue and got some cheap beers and wine. And they saw me in my home environment and some people would say, well, you know, a boss maybe would say, oh, well, you shouldn't mix your personal life with your professional. Or, you know, when you're spending sometimes 60 hours with these people, you've got to be honest. I call it a, you know, total transparent and honest communication is the best way. And also, I think people would like to see the human behind things as well. I think that's a very powerful. I've done similar things myself. And uh, you said that it's a relationship you're building. And you can't yeah. build that relationship if you're not brutally honest yourself. Because you need to, I normally call it, give, 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 and then you're going to get. I do think that in the context of what I'm doing now as a consultant, mm. to saying it in this conversation, is it's funny when I've gone into now, there's certain environments you go into and you are the guy on the outside and I can't go in going oh my god you should hear what happened at home last night because it'd be like what the hell that will never be and you have to go in and you've got to sniff it out you've got to know yeah. what's going on because they're not going to bring me in unless there's a problem to fix yeah. and usually you know there's something that needs to improve but in them situations I would never be the leader that I am when I'm working constantly with a team but on the BVI's project you know I've got to know that team now so I have let, let it down I did take the food and beverage manager out for dinner and that dinner was for me to get to understand him as a person and why was he why was he being challenged in some aspects yeah and i think also sometimes it's doing that investment to find out what makes people tick because if you can find out what makes your team tick you can make all the changes and do all the great things and often makes them also feel more energized and that energy just goes down in the customer experience the operation and so on everybody wants to be improve their work because they don't want to miss out on this special feeling they have here mm. in a way 
And also, I think people's performance, you know, sometimes we all know people are underperforming and they've all experienced that with managers, we're managing and, oh, you're not performing or you're coming late or your deadlines are not being met. And then you think, but why? And, and a lot of the time, in my experience, there's something triggering them that's maybe not within the work environment. And as their manager, their leader, I just think we have a responsibility to go that little bit deeper to understand. Probably one of the biggest challenges you have in a restaurant environment where things are moving so fast as they are. You also talked a bit about in the, in your intro about these things doing more than just the job, I would call it. You talked about making an impact. You talked about some charity work you've done. And first of all, how do you find time to that? There will probably be people out there saying, I'm, I'm working 60 hours a week. I would love to do things like that, but that's unreasonable. You can't get that done only if you're part of something like Virgin, where they would give you the time or something like that. There will be a lot of ways of not thinking about making an impact. And I also think as an industry, we, we see more and more, and I think there's more and more awareness about our impact on people's life and the change we can make as an industry. But how, how did you find that time and really got engaged in that? And why was that important to you? People always say we don't have the time, but I just think we, we have to make that time. For me, if you want to have success you have to give, you can't just get. So if you get to a certain position, I say this to any any leaders out there, and I've been asked this question many times, you will get so much success and reward by just giving that time. Even if you've got half a day, there's someone out there that needs your time, that needs your experience, that needs what you've got to give. And it's so easy as an industry, we're all saying, oh, we need to find a pipeline. Where, where, where's it coming from? You know, if you can inspire just one young person like Adam, like Scott, that, that I've grabbed out of in my career to see the impact they're having, that brings me success. That really keeps that passion and that fire alive. And we sometimes forget how we got there. Like I've just talked earlier about that five-minute coffee that Nick at Italian Fishery gave to me when I was 17. If he wouldn't have given me that cappuccino, and it was five minutes. It's like meditation, right? So we say we can't meditate because we haven't got the time. If you can give five minutes... And I say that with such passion because if Nick wouldn't have given me that five minutes, that cappuccino, I wouldn't be sitting having this amazing conversation with you. So I'd say to any leaders out there, don't overwhelm yourself with it. Even if you can give a couple of hours, half an hour, not just to a random kid in the street, even if it's to one of your waiters, your commie waiters, you don't realise the influence you can have. I didn't realise the influence me sitting down with little Scott had seven years ago. I didn't realise me just saying, hey man, how are you? What's going on? Be honest, you know, how can I help you? What's on your mind? The impact I had on him, but more importantly, the impact he then had on my business, because he remembered what I did for him at Babylon. And I tell you what, if you come into Babylon, you knew Scott was there because he was embedded in that business because his GM took five minutes so I'd say no one can give you the strategy and people say oh you work for Virgin you had this big brand behind you and in all fairness it wasn't the big brand behind me it was me doing it it was me making the time it was me yet yeah, making the calls we've all got connections in the industry as well you know it could be Luigi I remember taking Luigi out for lunch one day because he didn't get a promotion I had and he was gutted but because I took him out for a lunch to a friend's restaurant to give me a free lunch you know Luigi always remembers that lunch I gave him you know so I think if it's a coffee time you've got we've all got 10 minutes it will have a massive impact on your business going back to the state of our industry right now these young people and each other need that time it's it's essential yeah and uh, I agree with you because we all have many I talk with the industry and including myself had that eureka moment where somebody took time out and tell you you need to change something mm. or you need to walk in this direction 
else is going to go wrong. I think we all have met these people. You did it with me, let's be honest. You know, we met in London and you, you were running from one place to another, but you still found time to have a coffee with me. And I think that coffee I had with you, I left, you know, thinking, yeah, I, I'm, I'm energised here, you know, and I think that's, that's what it takes sometimes. What you give, you get again at some point. It comes back in life. You don't know when, but at some point it's going to drip on you. And I totally agree. Also, we talked a bit about uh, Danny Meyer. And I could see that your eyes lighted up when I talked about Danny Meyer. Very big fans here mm-hmm. at the Hospitality Mavericks. And uh, if you're listening in, Danny, we love your We love, love you, your Danny. Work. We love your work. <laughs> Keep on the good stuff. People have made another podcast out right now, The Master of Scale, where Danny Meyer has been interviewed a couple of weeks ago. Amazing interview. So Google Master of Scale and Danny Meyer, and you will listen into Danny Meyer's journey on enlightened hospitality. Enlightening hospitality, Danny Meyer talks about. We all have our approach to, you know, hospitality. What is your philosophy when you go out and do either work or just approach things in hospitality? We all all have our, you know, principles. What are your core principles around hospitality? My core principles around hospitality, the first thing is genuine. It's going into be genuine about loving what you do is the first and most important thing to me is you you know it's that real genuine passion of hospitality you touched on it earlier as well um, no matter how how sophisticated we become as human beings no matter how digital we become as human beings and I, I've said this in a talk I did recently you know with, with some big names in online communication it's about people and it's about their energy and it's about the emotion and I think when I go into a business that's what I bring you know I bring my energy that's genuine and that I want it to be the best it can be for the team and when I talk about the guest experience I'm talking about the team's experience if you can make an environment where people want to be if you come into my house I want you to be welcome in all aspects and we do that right we make sure the towels are there that you've got people staying over and when I try to create when I go into businesses now is that make people want to be there because genuinely they should want to be in that environment to deliver and exceed the expectations of the guest each and every time so as the manager or the consultant I'm saying look your team if you can make them really be part of this and really feel they want to they're a part of this environment that will transcend into an amazing guest experience each and every time so to me, it's, it's about genuine, real hospitality, starting with your team. And it's a very basic strategy, really. I think, in a way, uh, <laughs> if we come back to where the industry is now, I just want to touch about this. And I, I mentioned this a lot in the moment. I talk all about that we have lost some things on the way. We have lost uh, care for people, mm-hmm. our products, and our customers. Which, in general, restaurants was have been about from a history point of view, always being inviting people in while they were on the journey. Because we way back we used restaurants when we were traveling, and today it's a, a more like a commodity thing. But we still have to create that experience, and, and we lost some some of that on on the way in the industry. I think so. It's very interesting when you you approach hospitality that way, because what you're saying is actually it's people driven to get to the results you want in the end, your profit. Because there's no business we can agree on that that can run without profit but it's the way you achieve that profit I think the biggest issue that I see in some restaurants these days and it's the blatant one so the costs are going up the first thing we'll say is oh let's cut the staff right and that's always probably the first element that 
the boards will come out and say, okay, the revenues are not as high, so we've got to bring the staffing levels down. And I think you see it in so many businesses now. I remember going back to my first job at Nick's Italian Fishery. So when I went from the dishwasher to the floor waiter, which was against my will, I wanted to stay in the kitchen at that time, but I became a waiter in that restaurant. And my first ever table I went to was with a chicken and a beef to an American couple. The lady, when she had my accent, said, oh, where are you from? And I said, Liverpool. And she said, oh my God, you know, the Beatles. And I was like, oh yeah, my uncle's Paul McCartney was having this banter with the guest, right? I was having this... Is he? (laughs) That's for later. Um, But the the point was, is that I engage with them naturally, right? And Nick, who was on the floor, the owner, he loved it. And he was like, Peter, that's what we want. Spend time with your guests. That's what it's all about. I think the shift now is, is all about get, get in, get out, get in, get out. And it's like, it's about the people. Going back to your, where's the industry at? We've just got to be so careful that we don't lose that because... It is. People want that experience. They want the interaction. That That's something that we're seeing less of in, in, in restaurants at the moment. You also think, we talked about, you do touch on Deliveroo, uh, which is a whole podcast subject in itself, or delivery business. Do you think that's why it's been easier for people to do that transition? You just said that if you wanted a burger, you'll just get that by Deliveroo instead of having the faff of putting the whole family in the car and get on doing it. You would actually rather just ordering that, take the stress out of it because what you're buying is essentially time. Do you think that's one of the reasons that people have shifted that they feel I'm not going to get any unique experience anyway so it's just easier just to push the button I think when you go to certain casual dining restaurants yeah I do think that by the time you get there and again you know I've seen that in my area where it's the manager serving two sections now because there's no way to serve in section one and two because the costs are being cut back that much that you arrive there's no one to greet you because the manager's in a section you get sat and you're waiting because they've got the floor split between two and you, you're sat there going, I need a beer. You know what I mean? Well, it's much quicker on a Friday night when I've been working all day to grab a beer out of the fridge and, and order delivery. And I think that is the casual dining sector. If it's my mum's birthday evening, because it's my mum's birthday recently, then we will take the time to go to the Little Birds because it's an experience we're coming to, unfortunately, to the end, Peter, but there's so much more to be talked about. So there's something about uh, revisiting uh, an, an, another podcast. Before we end uh, the podcast, I always uh, ask people a bit about giving, you know, one single advice to other people in the industry. And we've been around, you know, giving the young people a chance. You can put whatever spin you want on it. But uh, from where we are now as an industry, what would you, what advice would you get to either a young person going into the industry or a manager in the industry? You can you can take the ankle yourself. I think I'd say to a manager going into the industry, don't go into the industry with a two-dimension strategy, and I mean that by don't just get on the floor side know the administrational side as well so go to your general manager and and learn as much as you can and ask for their time because in order to be successful in our industry there's there's massively two sides to it there's the the operational floor side but you've also got to know especially now your P&Ls your budgets and the cost control side of it so I think there's a two-way avenue that you need to know and grasp every opportunity you can. Just gonna throw another question in here I just thought about what book should every manager read 
setting the table, Danny Meyer, every time. I couldn't agree anymore. I was thinking exactly <laughs> the same, Peter. So, again, thank you so thank much you. for taking the journey down from London to Brighton. And thank you for sharing your stories and, and thoughts on uh, the Hospitality Maverick podcast. I'm looking forward to see you soon again on the podcast and catching up with you when, when we're around. Thank you so much for having me. It's been absolutely amazing. Thank you. That's all we have time for today. Thank you, Peter, for sharing your story and thoughts. Thanks to Let's Talk Video Production for your ongoing podcast assistance. We hope you enjoyed today's Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. Tune in next time for another industry interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be maverick.